Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Off Brand. My name is Kai Foster and I want to start off this episode by giving the first shout out of the season to at Tati Christie on Twitter. According to her bio, she's a Gemini sun with the Pisces rising and girl, <laughs> that is a combination. But thank you so much for showing your support for Off Brand. I really do appreciate it. And if you would like a shout out, all you have to do is follow Off Brand on Twitter at Off Brand by Kai. That's O-F-F-B-R-A-N-D-B-Y-K-A-I. Tweeting at the account will definitely help your chances, but you can also be featured by sharing the Off Brand podcast to Instagram and tagging me at Kai M. Foster. Lastly, if you'd like to give monetary support in the form of a subscription to this podcast, or if you'd like to support by purchasing off-brand merch, you can check out the link in my Instagram bio. Okay, so the title. Um... <laughs> I am tired. As a lot of you all know, this past week has been a hot-ass mess in the U.S., but that's pretty much the foundation that it was built upon, so I'm disappointed once again, but not surprised. Before I even start this conversation, I think some people may take the title of this episode and run in a completely different direction than intended. I'm not trying to belittle other groups of people or argue that the lives of black women are more important. I just feel like the issues within marginalized groups often get overlooked because there is a, and I air quote, bigger issue at hand. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, there's been outrage on social media platforms recently over the death of a black man named George Floyd who was killed by white police officers last week. According to the New Yorker, George Floyd was escorted out of a shopping center after a shopkeeper called the police on him, assuming that he was taking part in some kind of illegal monetary activity. He was pinned to the ground by his neck by a white police officer and his last words, according to the video footage, were, I'm about to die. Now, we live in the age of mass communication and instant mass communication at that. After social media platforms started to incorporate live streaming and video sharing, it's more than likely that you'll come across a video of this nature without warning. Recently, I've chosen to not watch these videos because they're traumatizing, quite frankly, and I know that's not how that person wants to be remembered when they have a whole context of life. So I do think they're important in terms of knowing exactly what happened in situations like these, but the frequency has made them a reminder of how far we still have to go and how dangerous it is to simply exist as a black person. And it's okay if you don't want to be reminded of that 24-7. I send all my condolences to George Floyd's family and just black people everywhere that have been murdered by police officers because to walk around knowing that your life is deemed less valuable than another is just it's so dehumanizing and so unsettling and the only thing that truly sets us apart is people is resources and those resources impact and define how we think what we are capable of and how others view us unfortunately even when we have no control over the situations that we're born into so black women. I want to start this conversation by touching upon my own experience. If you follow me on YouTube, I've talked about this a few times, but I really want to expand upon that because growing up really made me aware of the disparity between black women and black men in terms of media attention and overall respect. I grew up on the south side of Chicago and attended predominantly black schools up until the age of about 12. At my elementary and middle school, I can never really pinpoint any huge social issues because I was a child and I wasn't necessarily looking. However, when I moved to a predominantly white suburb after that age, the reality of the world literally lit a match under my ass, for lack of a better term. Now I want to preface by saying I was not at all worried or nervous about moving to an environment with a different racial demographic. From the portrayal of white people on television, I really had no complaints, and High School Musical made it look like a great time. But the first day of my new middle school came, and it was almost impossible to make friends for a while. The first friend that I made at my predominantly white middle school was a girl by the name of Katherine Hodakowski, and I remember it to this day because I had no one to sit with for lunch, and she went out of her way to make sure I was comfortable. Granted, 
granted we never really became close friends but I really appreciated her for making my time there a little bit more bearable. Now as my schooling progressed in this new neighborhood I got a much more comprehensive view on what it meant to make friends as one of very few black people. I'm not sure what the percentage was for my middle school but my high school was only 2% black and we had about 2,800 kids. Often what I realized was that I had to go out of my way to make friends. I'm not complaining and saying that it's such a bad thing but when you have to make those efforts every single time it gets tiring. Bringing the discussion back to what about black women I started to notice a trend in how the black guys at our school were treated versus the black girls. The black guys, though not all of them, were usually involved in some kind of sport and had a pretty easy time blending into their contrasting background. This isn't to say that black guys at the time didn't experience any kind of racial issues or discrimination. Black girls just experienced them a lot more overtly within the school setting. There was one quote popular black girl at my high school, no, it was not me, but for the most part while she was black, her dress, her body shape, and connections made her more accepted. I'm not throwing any shade. I thought she was super pretty and very nice. But for 99% of the other 12 black girls that went to the school, making friends was a different kind of game. You either had two options, become friends with the other black girls and minorities at the school because that was at least a start, or venture out and never really fit into any particular group. I chose the latter, not due to self-hate or wanting to be different, but something felt ingenuine about befriending others strictly on the premise of them looking like me. And I always felt bad for this decision because I felt like I was betraying them. I was friends with a few black girls, but for the most part, my friends were white or Hispanic. And when it came time for the straights of the school to ask each other to hold coming in prom, black guys never considered looking our way. For the most part, the black guys were not friends with the black girls. Black girls had their own table at lunch that was usually situated far away from everyone else, and ironically, it felt weird the few times that I sat at the table because while we were choosing to sit together due to racial differences, so was everyone else. Now, I want to address a certain privilege that I had as a black woman because there are several levels to this shit. I think what made it a bit easier to venture out and away from a strictly black group of friends was my complexion. Out of the few black girls, there were fewer that had lighter complexions. I immediately recognized the privilege in this when I got the chance to talk to black guys that went to neighboring high schools. Now this was around the age of 14 or 15 when guys stopped having cooties and I was interested in them romantically. I was told time and time again that I was different because of my skin tone and because I wasn't ghetto. The general consensus that I gathered was that they deemed darker skin as something less desirable. I was friends with a few darker skinned black girls and from what I could gather there wasn't much to set us apart. But when you're not given the time of day it's hard to prove this and you really shouldn't have to prove anything. This is the first time that I learned differences in gender and skin tone mattered, regardless of the issues that a group faced as a whole. The second time I can remember being reminded that black girls inherently have a different place within society was within my own home. My mom got remarried, which was the reason that I moved from a black environment to a white one. For a minute, we had considered homes on the outskirts of the city, but we ultimately ended up in the western suburbs of Illinois due to their more promising school systems. Now, out of respect, I won't get into my true feelings about our new family, but it needed so much work that we had to implement weekly family dinners on Wednesdays specifically. It was really everyone for themselves in that house so having to come together once a week as terrible as it sounds was so dreadful. Phones weren't allowed meaning we had to talk to each other and usually there wasn't anything that anyone wanted to say. However on one particular night it was brought to our attention that my stepbrother was stopped and questioned by a local police officer who thought he wasn't from the area. Now I don't mean to brag but we lived in a pretty nice house and apparently it was too nice for who we were as black people. One of my friends even came over one day and was amazed. She told 
told me verbatim that she thought I would have lived in an apartment. But back to the story. My stepbrother was literally just walking and a cop assumed that he had no business strictly because of the color of his skin. This is where Kai Foster comes into play. After this was brought up, I started to discuss the absence of black women from current racial discourse. My stepdad was not a fan, to say the least. I was met with black men have it harder and it's not the same. To be honest, I was just shut down during the whole conversation and to a degree, it isn't the same, but that doesn't make it any less important. While black men may be more frequent targets or broadcast it more frequently to the public when they are wronged, black women die, are raped, are kidnapped, and are just overall neglected by law enforcement on the daily. And it says so much when this is brought up and shut down by our black male counterparts. It's seen as a deflection. It's seen as us trying to create some sort of division when all we are asking for is to be included in the conversation. It's so sad that we have to ask for seats at a table that we've usually created. Black Lives Matter was a movement created by black women, but if I ask you to name five black women that have been murdered due to racial injustice or neglect, it might take you some time. I think of Ayanna Stanley Jones, a seven-year-old girl from Detroit who was murdered in her sleep by a raid on her home back in 2010. I think of Kanika Jenkins, a 19-year-old girl found dead in the freezer of an Illinois hotel, yet her death was ruled accidental. I think of Rakia Boyd, a 22-year-old unarmed black woman shot in the head by an off-duty Chicago cop. I think of Nia Wilson, an 18-year-old black woman who was stabbed by a white man after exiting a Bay Area rapid transit train in California, the same transit location of Oscar Grant's death. And I think about Breonna Taylor, another 26-year-old black woman who was shot to death recently within her own apartment for a crime that she did not commit. There's a reason hashtag say her name exists. Too often, black women are left out of discourse that rightfully includes them. Even more recently, Regis Korczynski, and I really hope that I'm pronouncing that right, she was thrown off of her balcony in Toronto, a 29-year-old black woman, and cops wanted to rule it a suicide. It's exhausting to know that your fate can be so easily determined by someone else's hatred, and even more exhausting and scary might I add to know that when these things happen, people's first thought is to just sweep it under the rug. On top of this disagreement between my stepdad and I, there were also clear distinctions between men and women within the home. Too often as a child, I was told to cover up within the house when men were around and I understand that other non-black girls experienced this but I was told that it had more to do with my figure as a growing black woman. I couldn't wear my Nike pros around the house or even tank tops without a bra. Now my Nike pros they were my pride and joy as a volleyball player and when they were constantly threatened to be taken away I took that shit seriously. How come I can wear these in front of crowds of people where my ass has even more of a chance to be exposed and not downstairs to make some ramen noodles? I don't feel like it's fair that you feel like you can pick and choose when and where a black female body is sexualized, especially as a growing teenager. I couldn't wear leggings to school because my figure was too full and to protest, I would wear them underneath a pair of jeans and take them off on the bus. Now you can imagine that this was very embarrassing to do on the ride to and from school. My friends always thought it was funny and I did too for a minute because a part of my brain thought that maybe, just maybe, all of what I was feeling was a little unnecessary. But this is more than a growing child or teenager going against their parents' wishes in the form of petty rebellion. This is more than a parent trying to protect their children from men. The implication is that you should act according to what men want to see and even more so because of how you are biologically built. Wearing short shorts or a shirt without a bra never bothered my mother personally because I was her child. And the same should hold true for the other parent regardless of gender. If the implication isn't that men simply don't want to see that, it's that they won't be able to control themselves if they do, which has far more to do with the man than it does the girl. It's disgusting, truly. And Twitter said it best, if you need to tell your daughter to behave because there's men at home, maybe those men shouldn't be in the house? Especially when the same black men within our households are perpetrators of illegal sexual behavior and that gets swept under the rug for the sake of privacy or bigger issues at hand. But I digress. 
One of my favorite spoken word poems is by Kai Davis and it's titled Ain't I a Woman. I literally have it memorized and used to rehearse it in front of my mirror in high school. You can find it on YouTube and she has a bunch of other great pieces on there. But I bring this up because it puts into words what I like literally can't. One of my favorite lines is her opener and she says, I wake up with an apology already forming in my mouth. This is what it means to be a contradiction. Too black to be a woman and not man enough to be black. This is what it means to occupy a vacant space. Have everyone slash each cross stitch intersection of my identity with a straight blade. Tell me to pick one label or none at all. End quote. I think what a lot of people fail to realize is that when you're a part of more than one marginalized group, you can't just pick one to fight for. This is because they work in conjunction and not separately. I'm not going to experience the same kind of oppression that a white woman will solely on the basis of gender. Samantha may be fighting for equal pay, but black women are fighting for their names to be heard after being killed and neglected due to their race and gender. And this isn't to say that white women can't have issues. There are disgusting things that women as a collective deal with on a daily basis, but white women don't have have to worry about the extra things that come with being a woman because of their race. Conversations about intersectionality need to happen more often and within our school systems as well because a lot of the knowledge that I gained about it had to be done outside of the classroom. And when it was finally talked about in a school setting, I was at a historically black college. I'm tired of black issues being treated as a unit within curriculum when the implications spread far beyond our white history books. And there was a black man from New Jersey in 2016 that killed three black women and attempted to kill a fourth one before he was caught. He said that he thought no one would would notice if they were missing." End quote. Do you know how disgusting that is? To think you will get away with a crime for so long because the justice system isn't as worried about bringing justice to all people as they are worried about bringing justice to groups deemed worth the protection? I mean, human traffickers are known to target black women because of this fact and it's petrifying. Not to mention there are still to this day so many black women that have gone missing and not many talk about it. It's like we go missing because as women we are vulnerable, but no one is talking about it because we are black. They always work together. I think one of the scariest experiences that I've had to experience as a black woman was a situation that happened on the CTA, which is Chicago's transit system. It's like, you know, the buses, the trains, whatnot. But anyways, I was on the train on the way to this summer program and there's open seating, of course, on trains. So I just randomly chose a seat. And after a couple stops, a black man gets on and sits right next to me. And I'm not gonna lie, he looked a little bit out of it, but I really didn't pay it any mind. I think as a black girl one of my strong suits is knowing how to mind my business so i'm just sitting there you know listening to music in one ear and i feel a tap the guy next to me is saying something but i really couldn't hear him because the music in one ear was so loud it's like i wear one headphone because of safety reasons but i still want to hear that shit anyways he points down to my shoe and lets me know that it was untied it was but i usually don't care because my shoes are always untied and the laces are usually too big and i never just i just never think twice about it and you know i appreciated him bringing it up but part of me like couldn't tell if he was bringing it up because he actually cared or he was just looking for a way to talk to me i wrote a spoken word poem on the matter for a poetry competition that I cringe at reading to this day, but I think it'll paint the clearest picture if I read it to you. And also, the names that I reference in the poem are train stops, if it's confusing. But anyways, on with the poem. Being a black woman is sitting on the red line, going northbound to Howard, backpack on your lap with one earplug in. It's scanning left and right as a black man scoots closer, your attention diverting from the lady staring at your hair to this unwelcomed proximity. 
being a black woman is instantly becoming hyper aware of your melanin and your clothes and your posture, hoping to not feed into any potential fetishes that he may have with your unprotected body. But as callous fingertips soon graze your thigh and hot breath envelops your right ear, being a black woman is realizing that you never really were to him. It's having your personal space closed on the right at Clark and Division, having seats open on the left at Fullerton. It's when the only other black lady on the train who had been eyeing the situation gets off. Your last credible witness. It's her backtracking, stumbling into the man behind her to advise you to be careful, reminding you that it is black women for ourselves as we are in our own struggle. We are too complicated for our black counterparts. Being a black woman is moving seats at Belmont, but him scooting closer at Addison and Sheridan and Wilson. Being a black woman is to get off at Lawrence, seven stops before your destination. It's that not being the first time. It's trying to make sense of the situation, trying to figure out how you just existing could attract such unwanted, unwarranted, undue attention. But this was what it meant to satisfy a different category. This was what it meant to be othered, to be etc. This is what it meant to be magic, but simply a disappearing act. This was what it meant to be a black woman, to occupy a space where black men are the only black people, where oppression is measured only by incarceration, where your sufferings are invalid. Being a black woman is to be an impediment to the black man's progression and the foot note to white feminism. It's having this reality being played for centuries at a time without the disc skipping. It's wondering when someone's going to take the disc out and finally play a new song. Being a black woman is always having to stay in your lane because Sandra didn't stay in hers. Being cautious of where you get comfortable, even though Ayana couldn't help it, and sometimes simply being wary of where you stand. Rakia was just existing. But being a black woman is still existing, still thriving, after all the rallies protesting black boys die down and pick back up again protesting black boys. After cultural appropriation and the mini buns and the boxer braids, after being called angry despite having everything to be upset about. Being a black woman is when your train finally shows 20 minutes later. It's sitting on the red line going northbound to Howard, backpack on your lap with one earplug in. It's scanning left and right and hoping that another black man is not scooting closer. So yeah, um, that poem got us all the way to quarterfinals and uh, yeah, I was pretty proud to say the least. But overall, it was just a very uncomfortable situation and it just summed up so perfectly a lot of the thoughts that I had about being a black woman. Black women aren't too opinionated. We're just constantly weighed down by the facts supporting the neglect of our existence. It's already enough to exist, but for that to be challenged for reasons far from natural, it's disheartening. So what can we do to make sure the voices of black women are heard? First and foremost, we can give them the spaces to speak. Too often this is a right denied to black women because of misinformed stereotypes and preconceived notions about our behavior. It's hard to address an issue when you don't ever consider the source. Next, retweet share, reblog, do whatever you have to do to ensure that black women are included in the conversation that involves their suffering. No one is mad about the amount of attention that black men receive because they could definitely be receiving of more, but we're upset because black women aren't given the same and are consequently drowned out in these kinds of conversations. Lastly, I challenge you to question your own judgment before acting upon it. I think as black women, we are far more naturally forgiving because a lot of us would hate to see the treatment that we receive duplicated and experienced by another disadvantaged group. Now, I can't speak for all of us, but those are just my thoughts and feelings. And there's a reason that you hear black women saying that we only have each other. It's a sad but often true statement when your needs and concerns are consistently rain-checked for the well-being and benefit of others. And that's pretty much all I have to say about this today. Um, I definitely didn't intend for this episode to be so depressing, but what can I say? This is the Off-Brand Podcast. I hope that you all took something away from this. If you felt the same, maybe share it with someone who doesn't. I'm all about starting discourse where it's needed and this is an issue that is far from over. Once again, make sure you follow at Off-Brand by Kai on Twitter and I will catch you all in the next episode.